0: Before we look at today's episode, have you subscribed to our paid episodes yet? If no, kindly subscribe if you love the infographics show. I'd like you all to take some few seconds to give us a 5-star rating. Thanks! When the Wright brothers first took off in their flying machine over a century ago, they never could have imagined how ubiquitous air travel would become. Approximately 100,000 flights take off and land around the world each day, with ticket prices getting cheaper and cheaper as the industry develops. After mankind had conquered the skies and made air travel a trivial affair, we looked toward the next frontier, space. But as engineers design new types of spacecraft, some might wonder why do they go to all that trouble. After all, the planes can fly pretty high. Couldn't we just fly them a little bit higher, say, all the way to space? Technically, the answer is no. We absolutely could not. But why? That answer is a little bit more complicated. Let's first look at how high planes can actually go. Commercial jets tend to fly at an altitude of around 28,000 to 35,000 feet, but they can reach heights of up to 40,000. Most of them aren't meant to go much higher than that, though there are exceptions such as the Concorde, a supersonic commercial jet that could reach a cruising altitude of 60,000 feet. NASA also designed an airplane called Helios that was able to fly up to 97,000 feet. But it was powered by electric motors and didn't resemble a typical airplane. Meanwhile, the minimum height required to exit the Earth's atmosphere and enter orbital airspace is 62 miles, or 327,360 feet. That's nearly ten times the average height most commercial jets tend to fly. So commercial planes and some scientific prototypes can't fly high enough to make it into space. But what is the reason for that? Why can't you just hop on a plane at LAX with a dream in your heart and soar off into the great unknown? Well, there are a few different reasons for that. First, there are forces that act on a plane- lift, which pushes the craft upward, weight, which pushes it downward, thrust, which pushes it forward, and drag, which pushes it backward. Planes are designed with these forces in mind, and they're an essential factor in a successful flight. But in space, the gravitational force and air resistance ordinarily present are gone, and the forces required for the plane to act as intended are gone too. Next there's the matter of temperature. Re-entering the Earth's atmosphere generates a great deal of heat. Space shuttles are equipped with protective shielding that allows them to endure this heat without falling apart. But planes aren't quite so resilient. Even if you were able to fly a plane into space successfully, re-entering the atmosphere would roast any passengers unlucky enough to be inside. Do not pay for an economy ticket to space, folks, it's just not worth it. Another obstacle standing between an ordinary commercial plane and space travel is the quality of air closer to space. The higher you go, the thinner the air becomes. At high enough altitude, the air becomes too thin for the plane to maintain its lift. At this point, the plane reaches something ominously called a coffin corner, in which it can no longer speed up, slow down, or climb any higher. The only way to keep the aircraft from crashing once in the coffin corner is by reducing its altitude while carefully gaining speed during a controlled descent. And then, there's the issue of the plane's engine. Commercial airplane engines are unable to generate enough thrust to propel a craft through the atmosphere and into space, which requires approximately 7.2 million pounds of thrust. For comparison, the Boeing 747's engine generates around 63,000 pounds of thrust. Airplane engines also rely on air in order to generate combustion. Without enough fresh air, that combustion ceases and the engines die. Turns out, the air part of the airplane matters quite a bit. This would pose a pretty big problem in space, given that it's pretty famous for being a place without much air. So what would happen if a pilot decided to try their luck and fly their plane into space anyway? Well, like the Greek myth of Icarus, in which the titular young man disobeyed his father and attempted to fly higher and higher using a pair of wax wings only to have them melt from the heat of the sun, they would suffer a terrible fall back to Earth. Surprisingly, this has actually happened, with the most prominent example being the Pinnacle Airlines Flight 3701 in 2004. On October 14, 2004, Flight 3701 was due to transport an empty 50-seat Bombardier CRJ-200 from Little Rock, Arkansas to Minneapolis. The planned cruising altitude for the flight was 33,000 feet, but shortly after the plane left its destination, it began to ascend rapidly. After only 14 minutes of flight, the pilots requested clearance to climb to 41,000 feet, the maximum operating altitude for the Bombardier CRJ series. They expressed to each other an eagerness to test the limits of the aircraft clearance was granted, and the plane quickly climbed to this ambitious new height. Once it did, however, disaster struck. Both the engines lost power, likely due to a sudden ascent to an altitude at the absolute limit of the craft's capabilities. The pilots declared an emergency and descended, but were unable to restart the engines. The flight crashed into the ground outside of Jefferson City, and both crew members were killed. The National Transportation Safety Board listed the causes of the crash as, quote, the pilot's unprofessional behavior, deviation from standard operating procedures, and poor airmanship, which seems a little harsh given that they were already dead. If the pilot's goal was to get to space, well, let's just say they didn't get close. Only reaching 41,000 feet, they were over just 12% of the way to escaping our atmosphere. So we know that airplanes can't fly to space, but there are actually a type of plane that can. That's right, you guessed it, space planes. A space plane is a vehicle capable of flying and gliding like an aircraft. While in Earth's atmosphere and moving like a spacecraft, once it's exited the atmosphere into outer space, it's sorta of the best of both worlds. There are four types of spaceplanes that have successfully launched into orbit, re-entered the Earth's atmosphere, and landed safely: the US Space Shuttle, the Russian Buran, the US X-37, and the Chinese CSSHQ, or reusable experimental spacecraft. The space shuttle was a partially reusable NASA spacecraft system that was operated from 1981 to 2011. Its components included the orbiter vehicle, which served as the space plane, three rocket engines, a pair of solid rocket boosters, and an expendable external tank. The space shuttle launched vertically like a typical rocket. The solid rocket boosters would be jettisoned from the craft before reaching orbit as the main engines continued powering it. Then, after the main engine cut off and the craft prepared to enter a steady orbit, the external tank was jettisoned as well. When it was time for the craft to re-enter the atmosphere, its thermal protection system kept it safe from the high temperatures, and then it executed a runway landing as a space plane. In response to the NASA space shuttle, the Soviet Union started the Buran program. The Buran-class spacecrafts were similar to the space shuttle, but there were some notable differences in the design. The main engines did not follow the spacecraft into orbit. Instead, small rocket engines on the body of the craft helped propel it to orbit. It was also capable of fully automated landings and flying missions without a crew on board. The Boeing X-37, also called the Orbital Test Vehicle, is more of a modern space plane that was first used in 2010. It's made up of a reusable robotic craft that's carried into space by a rocket-powered launch vehicle, where it remains in orbit to aid in exploration and research. Once it's time for the X-37 to land, it will re-enter the atmosphere and glide back to the ground as a spaceplane. The CSS HQ is China's answer to this new spaceplane arms race. It's a reusable orbiting spacecraft, first launched in September 2020, that operates similarly to the other orbiting spaceplanes we discussed so far. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. In addition to these orbiting spaceplanes, there have been two rocket-powered aircrafts that have crossed the internationally recognized boundary into space- the X-15 and Spaceship-1. On July 19, 1963, American World War II pilot, physicist, and astronaut Joseph A. Walker flew NASA's X-15 in the now famous Flight 90. During this flight, the craft reached an altitude of 106.01 kilometers, crossing the Kármán Line and entering space. While up there, the interior of the craft achieved weightlessness for between three and five minutes. As it re-entered the atmosphere, some portions of the craft's exterior heated up to 650 degrees Celsius. This historic flight only lasted 12 minutes from launch to landing. Spaceship One took flight many decades later in 2004 as part of the competition for the $10 million Ansari X Prize. The challenge was as simple to describe as it is difficult to achieve. Be the first private organization to complete two successful piloted flights with two passengers in two weeks. Oh, and both those flights need to cross the boundary of space. This was achieved through several innovations working together. First, there was the launch aircraft, a hybrid rocket engine system named White Knight. This carried Spaceship One to a height of 47,000 feet and then dropped it. At this point, the pilot lit the craft's hybrid rocket, sending SS-1 shooting up toward its goal. Another element of SS-1 that allowed it to successfully complete its journey was the Feather system. The Feather here refers to the rear portion of the SS-1's wings, which would fold vertically before the craft reached its highest point. This would increase drag, slowing SS-1's speed as it prepared to re-enter the atmosphere. Then the feather would be retracted, allowing the craft to glide to a smooth, safe landing. After a series of test flights, each creeping closer and closer to space, pilot Mike Melville made history on June 21, 2004 when he passed the boundary of space by 150 meters. How did he celebrate this momentous occasion? He spent his few moments of weightlessness at the top of the world, releasing chocolate into the cabin. How's that for a sweet victory? Spaceship One continued to prove itself with more and more flights into space, and today it is prominently and proudly displayed at the Smithsonian Institution's National Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. In the decades since the first launch of the space shuttle, there have been few official developments in the world of space planes capable of entering orbit. The Boeing X-37B is the only craft still frequently used today, and pales in comparison to its predecessors such as the space shuttle. So why aren't there more space planes rocketing off into the sky? Well, there are researchers trying to bring the reusable space plane back. Reaction Engines, a British aerospace company founded by three engineers following the cancellation of a British space plane project in 1989, intends to create Skylon, a single stage to orbit space plane. They're also designing an engine to power it. The Synergetic Air Breathing Rocket Engine, or Saber is a hydrogen-powered engine intended to use the oxygen in Earth's atmosphere to propel a space plane to hypersonic speeds before blasting off into space much in the style of a conventional rocket. There are some pretty impressive names attached to the project, such as Rolls-Royce, Boeing, and British Aerospace. So, when can we expect to see Skylawn in action? In April of this year, Reaction Engine CEO Mark Thomas spoke out about the project on the Aviation Extended podcast saying, what's more likely is a two-stage-to-orbit system So you'd still have a very capable and fully reusable first stage launcher that could well operate in a horizontal takeoff and landing configuration, but you'd have a much more expendable or less reusable upper stage that did the ultimate push to orbit. So okay, the future of aerospace technology is cool and all, but what about the non-astronauts who want to take a spin on a space plane while watching old NBC sitcoms and eating potato chips in an uncomfortably stiff chair? Will space plane travel ever come to the regular Joe consumer? Well, As it turns out, the first commercial space flights have already happened. British business magnate Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic, a spaceflight company aiming to usher in a new era of space-based tourism, completed its first commercial flight into space on June 29, 2023. The maiden voyage aboard the rocket plane Unity included an instructor, the plane's two pilots, two Italian Air Force colonels, and an aerospace engineer from the National Research Council of Italy. The suborbital ride lasted just 90 minutes, as they experienced a few minutes of weightlessness at the highest point. The passengers unfolded an Italian flag in celebration. The first guests on Virgin Galactic were there as scientists just as much as tourists, one of them wearing a suit that measured his biometric data throughout the journey. Another conducted an experiment concerning the mixing properties of different liquids and solids in a low-gravity environment. There were some concerns about the safety of the trip following the deadly crash of Virgin Galactic Spaceship Two in 2014, and the disappointing results of Virgin Orbit's satellite launch, which ended abruptly when a rocket carrying the first ever satellites to launch from British soil failed to make it to orbit. However, the flight went smoothly, and people began clamoring to be on the next trip to space. At the time of this first flight, the company had sold 800 tickets for future trips. Now, before you reach for your wallet, you should know the price is a little steep for the average space enthusiast, clocking in at around $450,000 a seat. Sorry folks, unless you're part of the 1% commercial space travel, still a no-go. Okay, that's not exactly true. You could also be lucky enough to win a fundraising competition by the organization Space for Humanity, a non-profit intending to make space travel more accessible. That's what happened to Keisha Shahoff, who won a spot aboard the first Virgin Galactic flight for space tourists rather than passengers with professional experience. Shahoff, her daughter, and former Olympian John Goodwin climbed aboard the Unity in August of 2023 along with the space plane's commander, the pilot, as well as Virgin Galactic's chief astronaut instructor, Beth Moses. The Unity space plane was strapped to the wing of a Virgin Twin Fuselage VMS Eve carrier jet which took off from a 12,000-foot runway in the New Mexico desert at around 11 AM. Once the carrier jet reached altitudes of approximately 45,000 feet, it released Unity, dropping it from the wing much like you'd drop a bomb. But the only explosions involved in this vessel were mines being blown. A few seconds after Unity was dropped, its hybrid rocket motor ignited to propel the craft upward and out of the lower atmosphere. Its velocity steadily increased until it was around three times the speed of sound. And then the rocket motor shut down suspending the crew and passengers in a few minutes of weightlessness. It continued to climb upward until it reached its maximum altitude of 54.9 miles. During the descent, while still weightless, the passengers were able to remove their straps and float freely through the cabin. Then once everything was safely back in place, Unity feathered its wings, increasing drag to slow its descent, and began to make its way back to Earth. Once back in the atmosphere, it rotated its wings back into their original place and glided back to the runway. As impressive as the experience on board a Virgin Galactic spaceplane might be, the voyage is strictly suborbital. Is there any hope for a commercial spaceplane that actually enters orbit, like a space shuttle? Sierra Space is developing one, the Dream Chaser, a winged commercial spaceplane ideal for transporting cargo or even human passengers. Eventually, it could carry up to seven people, as well as cargo, back and forth from a point in low Earth orbit. The cargo version of the Dream Chaser is intended to resupply the International Space Station as well as transport cargo back to Earth from the ISS if necessary. For now, this version is being prioritized over the passenger-friendly version. But they're not stopping there. Sierra Space is aiming even higher than a winged space plane capable of transporting people to the ISS. They're also developing the Life Habitat- not the serial or the board game, but the Large Integrated Flexible Environment Habitat a structure that launches via a rocket and once in orbit inflates to a height of 3 stories and a diameter of 27 feet. It's likely to be a while before it's ready, but the plans for this mobile habitat and workspace are ambitious. As the Sierra Space website put it, remote work will never be the same. They're promising three floors of living and working area, able to accommodate crews of between 4 and 12 people life support systems that regulate the air pressure, humidity, temperature, and oxygen levels, a multi-layer shield able to withstand the harsh conditions of space, and an astro garden able to grow fresh plants and produce. It's quite a lot to accomplish, but they've already built a ground prototype, so who knows? Maybe sometime soon, working from home will expand to working from space. This is as far as the current technology will allow us to go when it comes to planes that can carry passengers to space. But here's another question. Once you've hopped onto that space plane, where are you taking it? What's the destination? Sure, maybe it's just space in general, but why stop there? Once we've taken planes into space, why not bring other aspects of flying along too? Such as the airport itself, with its various shops, eateries, and the oh-so-exclusive airport lounge. They're working on that too. Enter the orbital reef. Well, you can't enter it because it doesn't exist yet, but it's intended to be a mixed-use business park in space and the first commercially owned and operated space station, a station in low-Earth orbit centered around commerce, research, and space tourism. The Orbital Reef promises to include the life habitat as well as the Dream Chaser spaceplane in its operations. It also promises a variety of uses and experiences, from business to a spacious research laboratory for physical, biological, or earth science as well as product development to pure tourism and curiosity about the experience of space. They intend for the Orbital Reef to be made reality by the decade. Sounds like something out of a science fiction story, but in August 2022, Orbital Reef's plans passed a System Design Review by NASA. This review, which was conducted from mid-June to mid-July, served to confirm that the concept for the Orbital Reef met the requirements to function as intended. Orbital Reef wasn't the only space station concept to pass the review. Starlab Station, a continuously crewed commercial space station being built by Voyager, passed the review as well as another commercial space station concept from Northrop Grumman Corporation. Another company, Axiom Space, reached an agreement with NASA to add commercial modules to the International Space Station itself. These will later be formed into a commercial space station if all goes according to plan. Now It all seems promising, but the talks of transitioning to commercial space stations by the close of the decade have not been met with only support. NASA's safety advisors and inspector general have criticized the short timeline, warning that these commercial stations might not be ready by the planned deadline. However, representatives from both NASA and the four companies involved in developing these stations disagree with those concerns. They're all making great progress, according to them, and Orbital Reef plans to launch its first modules in 2027. So while you can't fly a commercial jet into space, most people won't be able to snag a seat on a space plane either. As we develop better and better methods of space travel, it's entirely possible that a future is coming where ordinary people will be able to purchase a business class ticket to the stars. Sounds like a blast! Now go check out What Crew of Titan Experienced When Submarine Imploded? Or watch this video instead!